Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm Laura Gregg, and I'm joined with my co-host today, David Partain. Hello, David. Hello, Laura. How are you today? I could not be better. Really excited about our guest today. Yeah, me too. Uh, On the Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors who want to either fine-tune or grow their business, all while deepening client relationships. You know, building and nurturing a purposeful culture is such a critical component of any advisory practice, and even more importantly, for maintaining high-functioning teams or firms. Yet 2020 really threw us some curveballs that upended a lot of how we conduct our business. And today we'll be speaking with Marie DeZanis about why defining and nurturing the culture within an advisory firm may be more important than ever. Yeah, culture, Laura. Yeah, that is an important topic for all of us to consider, especially right now with so many of our teams working remote. And I am looking forward to hearing Marie's thoughts on this and about the paper she wrote on the topic. Marie is both a colleague of ours and one of our favorite leaders. We both worked for her closely when she headed intermediary distribution at Northern Trust Asset Management. However, as with a lot of leaders, she was promoted a few years ago and is now the executive vice president, head of EMEA and chief executive officer for Northern Trust Global Investments. And I am always attempting to find ways to work with her from abroad. You know, I had the good fortune of working directly for Marie about four years ago. And boy, did I learn a lot about the business and management and people management specifically from her. To say she's a passionate person, I think wildly understates Marie. She is a continuous learner and is always seeking to become a better leader, mentor, and advocate for those in her organization and outside of it. And her passion around building an incredible culture is is not new to 2021 or 2020. It was a topic that she's been talking about for many, many years. Marie, thank you so much for joining us today on The Flexible Advisor. Well, thank you very much, Laura and David, and for the very kind and generous comments and um, really believe that having great people around you make you better. And I, I do believe that every day. So I'm very encouraged and excited that we can talk about the uh, talent and team needs, particularly during times of change and think through how to have business success out the other side. So, Marie, you know, COVID obviously has presented us all with so many challenges and especially challenges, new challenges for business owners and employees, P&L issues, operational issues, and a growing need for new digital technologies and sustaining a firm's culture among all of this. These are all very important business concerns, and it's hard, if not impossible, to juggle them all. So, where should the focus on culture fit into all of these competing issues? Well, there's no question that culture should be a top priority. 
And the reason being is, despite all the things that we do every single day in business, we are a business of people serving people. And when we think about the impact that a high-functioning team can have as they undergo times of stress and change, that really can make a difference on whether or not your business can springboard to the next level or whether or not you're going to have to slow down, take pause, and delay things. And so let's take a look at, for example, what happened during COVID. There's no question that COVID accelerated a technology agenda. I think most of us were surprised to the upside that we were able to deliver our KPIs on business and we were able to serve our clients and continue to do so. And while that was completely unexpected, um, we did see the byproducts of calibrating all of those things and probably extra hours and, and surrounding people in ways that we uh, needed to or uh, whatever was required at the time. Um, what we also learned from that, though, is that we do need to make sure that you have the right infrastructure and people are in place, that we have the proper oversight. And when we say uh, oversight, it could be from a regulatory standpoint, making sure that you have all of the checks and balances in place, meaning that people feel supported in their business, that you have team effectiveness. So the team is engaged and they feel that while they're working from their remote location, that they're able to successfully do what they need to do. And if they get stuck, they can call someone. And the reality is, is that in this new structure, there's still things that we're figuring out and finding out. And sometimes it takes time to calibrate them, but it's important that you get them right. Because if a team doesn't feel that they're connected in the proper way, or they feel like it's a bother to call their manager, they're less likely to ask questions, which can result in some problems and challenges. So if we think about it from the organization, are my people engaged? Do they feel empowered to do their job? Do they feel like they have control of their destiny and the ability to help get their clients served? That'll make a difference for us all. So Marie, so many things, quote unquote, seemed more simple to manage when we were all in one place together. Culture, of course, is being one of those. There are clearly benefits and challenges with so many of us continuing to work remotely. In fact, you're calling in with, from London today and your team, a lot of your team is working remotely. Should leaders be reassessing what their firm's culture needs to be in this new world? And does or should geography play into that calculus? So that is a great question because there's a lot of opportunity for us to really look at what we can leverage in a time where we have people working in remote circumstances. And you're right. You would never know that I'm dialing in from London. In fact, we sound like we're all here yeah. together. And in theory, we are. Right. Um, and that's the interesting opportunity for us as a firm and as an investment community uh, it affords us a chance to acquire talent and input in ways that we were unable to do so before. If we look at the London office, for example, as an example, I would look to hire somebody who would normally be able to commute into London within a reasonable amount of time. And it would be a certain radius of mileage around uh, the city of London. Now, if you look at it, I could open up any job role to anyone within the UK who has the technology and the support and the ability to do the job. 
And so it does ask the question of, can we acquire talent in a new way and have the opportunity to look and expand our universe of people that we normally would be bound by geography? And I think that's a very good question for us to consider because we always wanna get the best players on the field and the highest and best talent in the door. The second thing I think we have to manage and going through a circumstance of working remotely certainly causes you to process is the concept of presenteeism. We now have to manage in different ways that we hadn't before. And in past times, you might be able to look over and see if Laura was in the office and David, you know, I showed up. Um, but the reality is most firms recognize that we are outcomes oriented. We have deliverables and KPIs we have to make to clients. Clients need to meet their investment goals. They need to meet their needs. And in some cases, we have to be present with clients and, and physically meet in offices. But there's a lot of day-to-day -day things that we can do as advisors that we can manage successfully. And it doesn't have to be necessarily on the nine-to-five scale. In fact, it could even afford us an opportunity to get talent that otherwise could work later hours, more flexible hours, or outsource tasks in ways that we wouldn't be able to do it that you might have to pay a very expensive person to do. And so it's more of an opportunity when we assess the needs for the company of what are, for my staff, the highest and best outcomes that I need from them and what can you do as a manager that would have you spend time in a space where you're delivering the only the things that only you can deliver? And what that does is people start to feel like they're doing what's very much in their zone and what their responsibilities are, and they have better clarity. And if you're able to raise the bar and acquire a talent creatively across border or across state, assuming there's no tax implication. You can expand your pool of candidates and raise the bar in talent. So I, I'm I've got to hop in here, Marie, because you, um, you know, you're you're way ahead of the coronavirus in, in that thought process. I remember when I came to work for you, I had had a flexible schedule, a couple of days working from home, and uh, as I transferred to new managers, that was always something that concerned me that that flexibility would be taken away and. You know, there were there were certain periods throughout our, our time together where I would say, you know, I'm 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 got to be home tomorrow, but I'll be in the office Thursday or whatever it was. And you would look at me and just smile and say, "We work for a global company. Just get your work done." And uh, you know, I so appreciated that. But you came into this change in geography really with a different mindset than I would say maybe many many other managers. So. Um, you know, I always thanked you at the time for being open, but I, I think that, you know, it, it's clearly, uh, it's clear to everybody now since COVID that people are productive and can contribute no matter where they're sitting. Well, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And, you know, we have to ask ourselves, particularly in the time of uh, opportunity, to say, how can we expand our reputation, our footprint, our client base, the like. And we started to see that pre-COVID um, with creative work setups where you would see in major cities, um, collective work areas where you could office out of a, a certain area. And it makes the business more scalable 
And here's an opportunity that you and I, Laura, have talked together about um, in coaching advisors, thinking through how they can partner in creative ways. So if a generational, I mean, excuse me, a geographic strategy and generational strategy too, we'll get to that, can afford us a, a little bit more creativity and, and increase our clients, I think that can make a big difference. That's a great segue into the recent paper that you wrote and you talked about loyalty. And I've heard the old adage that employees don't leave organizations so much as they leave managers. So what should leaders, managers be thinking about as it relates to loyalty? Is it being loyal to employees or in attempting to inspire your team's loyalty? That is a very profound philosophical question. <laughs> and um, no, David, and, and I know you'll appreciate this because from a cultural standpoint, we take management very seriously. And I believe it's a calling and managers sweat over how they can bring their uh, team along and their partners along on a journey and um, help them alongside of their own aspirations to be the very best employee, bringing their full self and an authentic leadership style, you know, no small task. And the reason why I highlight that is you have a situation where people who may not be as skilled at or as comfortable managing a remote team immediately. And sometimes that takes years to learn, you know, when you can't look at somebody in the face and gauge their reaction, or if you have a very limited time frame which you can interact with them, or the only time you can get on David's calendar is he's got 15 minutes sandwiched in between these few meetings, and, you know, and you have to prep and say, okay, David, I have a question for you. All the niceties, all the casual things. Where did you get that shirt? Oh, you look great. You're, you have you lost weight. All of those things tend to go away. And what that does is those informal opportunities to build a relationship with or have commonality with someone, you know, sometimes become more stressful for leaders and for their team and their partners. And we have to understand that also, uh, we have quite skilled people in our industry who are SMEs. Having somebody who's very quant-minded have to all of a sudden have emotional intelligence or read into a dynamic. Uh, without being able to see someone or without being able to uh, be skilled at it is a big ask. So that's one thing I think is, is a challenge. We have to think about that. How can we get our managers up to speed? How can we get people who are leading people, um, particularly during times of challenge, that uh, we can support them? That's one question. The loyalty piece is one, if we don't get that right. But the other piece of this is, even if we assume that in business as usual, you have an employee sitting in their living room doing a job, we have to notice that the job does not differ if they work between firm A and firm B. If I'm a relationship manager and I'm on the phone and I am talking and I, I'm at firm A and I'm in my living room, my environment, my life does not change substantially that if I jump firms and go to firm B. And so we have to think as an investment community of if I bring somebody into my firm, how can I quickly connect them with the vision and how can I quickly connect with them and onboard them in a way that they feel professionally intimate with my organization? 
And that is a real profound challenge because even if you're doing all of the other things right, if there is not this sense of I can personally identify and relate with the greater good and the purpose, and I can see the contribution that I make and how that translates into something meaningful, the likelihood of retaining that person over a longer period of time is a risk. And the additional piece of this is we will have an environment for the first time where a lot of firms will be onboarding people into an organization and they'll have never met in person their direct manager or their colleagues. So what some observations and findings were, particularly over here, because we onboarded 12 new people um, in the organization over the course of 2020, is we had one person leave because a person from their former firm had called up who they had been in front of and they felt connected to. And they got them in early days and said, why don't you come on over and do this role? And we lost the person because of that, because we didn't do a good enough job of connecting. And so we have to take that information and internalize that and saying our onboarding process, we need to up our game. We need to be very clear and we have to connect some dots. Yeah, Marie, that's, uh, as you know, I just hired my first uh, partner over there in London and she starts later this month. And that is a big concern for me is making sure that when we onboard her, that she feels that we are very glad she's here and that she's part of the team. And so, yeah, but I, I will say as long as she uh, will keep the boy, you look like you lost weight today. I will be fine. <laughs> That's the secret. <laughs> you know, Marie, just since I've known you, you've been overwhelmingly passionate about uh, the next generation of financial professionals. And, you know, for years you've been understanding and talking about the cultural differences and in, in how they grew up versus um, older folks like the three of us um, and what they were... <laughs> <laughs> Not too old, just a little bit older. Um, and what they were told to expect and the differences in their attitudes and what work should look like and be like. And so I'm wondering, you know, your thoughts on what role the generational divide may play now and how can that factor in to building a more sustainable culture at an advisory firm today in these new times? I think there's a lot of advantage here. Uh, particularly with a work from home environment, you know, what works well for the younger generation tends to work well overall. And what I mean by that is if we can manage to outcomes and tell somebody, here's what I expect you with great clarity and um, when I want my deliverables and allow them to manage it, because that's how we have to operate now. We can't stand over top of somebody. We can't have that presenteeism uh, we can allow this younger generation to thrive. Another thing that we've observed, particularly in uh, early results here over the past year, is that introverts tend to do a little bit better in an environment where we're remote. And what I mean by that is there's some early observations of the perception that it levels the playing field 
if you're in a conference room and somebody tends to talk loud, of the three of us, you know how we've been together, one talking louder than the other mm-hmm. to be heard. You know, that type of environment, laughing and talking and such, if you are a little bit more introverted, you might, might not feel like you fully made your point. And what happens is a remote vi- environment where we're all on Zoom or WebEx and the like, people get heard differently and their voices are equal. And we've seen people who tended to be more uh, shy and uh, withdrawn come out of their shell and blossom. And I've asked in the industry in some conferences that this is a pretty prevalent theme. So that's a wonderful opportunity for people to shine during times of challenge. The other thing I think that uh, is a very positive trend for us is the need for feedback, particularly for the younger generations. And some early findings that, we, that we've uh, um, you know, talked about were we recognize that they're getting more feedback because they're more regularly involved and they tend to do well during times of challenge when things haven't worked out because they can do, go into breakout groups and mull things over and work things out live and do it quickly. So we can solve problems more efficiently. We can utilize our technology to put people in breakout groups and and connect with people they normally wouldn't have cause to work with, which also builds collaboration and a little bit of sense of culture. And uh, they're engaged around it, which is a lot of fun. And I, I think being able to leverage best practices from a younger generation that already have all the best practices in the world. I don't know about you, but I felt like I was over the moon the first time I learned how to use um, WebEx breakouts that I could assign people rooms. People thought I was all fancy. And of course, back to your point, Laura, people are like, you know, the younger generation is like, yeah, you finally got this, Susannis. So um you know, we do need to learn what are the best practices and how we can have that team teach us to make our business more efficient. So I want to continue our discussion about next generation advisors. I think that, you know, it remains uh, a really critical issue for this space. And But now I, I'd love to kind of pivot to discussing uh, purpose. You know, what I've seen uh, with my younger colleagues and even with my own children and nieces and nephews and uh, their networks is there's this expectation that there is something more important than just earning a paycheck. They, they want and expect to be able to live purposeful lives uh, in their, their personal life and, and professionally. And they, there's some merging between the two. I'm wondering what you're seeing as it relates to the idea of purpose and have things changed over, you know, these months and months of COVID? Well, you know what? I don't think this is a younger generational thing at all. In fact, you know, I think there's many circumstances that when you're in your home and you're isolated, people get very reflective of what gives me joy in my day-to-day life. And why am I doing this? And who am I doing this for? And does this give me a sense of satisfaction? And I've seen all kinds of colleagues at all different levels decide to, you know, take on more, ratchet back, take a, a retire, um, decide that they're going to do something different or find ways to engage and contribute differently. And I think that's actually a very healthy exercise because we do need to take joy in what we do every single day 
And if you're not enjoying it, um, it will eventually over time cause you to take a step back or, or pause or change directions. So, you know, when we're faced with something like this, the sense of what everything that I do on a day-to-day -day basis, does it tie to something that is creating something? Am I able to contribute and tie myself to the footprint of success? Do I feel like I am valued? Do I feel like I have the empowerment to make that contribution? Those are big questions. And having a sense of purpose, particularly for the younger generation, they need to have that right away. They're actually very well balanced. They're saying, you know, in job interviews, here's what I want to do. I'm very clear. Here's what I don't want to do. Laura, I don't know at what age you realized that, you know, how settled you were and what you like and don't like in your career, but usually it, it takes a couple of years to do that. The younger generation are quite settled on it. And to that end, they would be very smart to interview with a firm and understand its culture and the decision rights in an organization. And can they have success? Because when you think about you're bringing somebody on to, into an organization, you need to be able to be effective and navigate the organization well. No matter what the job is day in, day out, you could be a technical SME, but if you're not able to effectively navigate the organization and get things done, that's going to feel like you're not able, empowered, and not tied to a purpose. So what does that mean from, you know, what we can do to help that? And how can you think about your culture? Uh, it, it involves delegation and being very rigorous around making sure that people have meaty roles that are well-defined and that they have the very good scope of line of sight of where they start and where they stop. And that they have what I'll call very clear swim lanes, right? Uh, you know, where does my work stop and Laura's take over? And, you know, how do we work well within those confines? And having very clear direction and accountability of that direction. And what that means is accountability is something that is a very positive thing. That means that you have ownership. That means you have decision rights. That means you have weigh in and say in, but it also implies that you're updating and engaging and creating buy-in and the like. And so as we think about the younger generation, teaching them how to have conversations to update and create buy-in and common vision and present the scope of your role so others have clarity on what you do on a day-to-day -day basis is a very powerful tool. And when that's done well, people feel so much pride in the fact that they've owned something, owned an initiative or had some say into something greater that turned out to the positive. So uh, Marie, there's uh, so much uh, good information in, in what you just shared. And there were a few things that, that popped in my head as, as I was listening to you. And um, one is we've just uh, finished our uh, third advisor wellness study, and we'll be releasing that later in the first quarter. Um, but one thing that's been really consistent, which is really uh, makes me smile, right, uh, is that advisors, while they're very stressed, they consistently appreciate and value their job uh, because they consistently tell us that they like helping people. And 
you know, that, that ability to help people, especially during these times is so important and, and to be able to reflect back on a very difficult year and know that you've helped people move forward, kept them in the market, kept their plans in place, I think is so very important. And you'd mentioned something else about finding that good cultural fit. And we do a lot of work around diversity, as you know, and, um, you know, we really coach um, younger people to ask uh, when they're, when they're talking to new firms, what, the mentality is around diversity, equity, and inclusion, because if that's not a fit, then it's not going to be a long-term proposition for either the firm or, or the younger employee. So, you know, I, I think culture, again, it comes out in so many different ways and facets. Well, if I can just comment on um, reinforcing that point that you made, um, it is certainly reinforce the power of, um, if we think in terms of an investment manager is that we're a leader in ESG. Uh, we've, saw, we've seen every aspect of ESG play out through COVID and it is related to just what you said. Um, we saw the environmental trade-offs by not having commutes that we see forests revitalize and fish come back into canals and the like. Um, we've seen governance play a profound role in the fact that during times of duress, having operational resilience and having the infrastructure and the team in place that is well engaged around you know, good management. But the biggest piece, which is related to the DE&I aspect is the social piece on ES&G. And the, the results of having diversity at the leadership table during times of duress make a big difference between how you can effectively serve your clients and your employees and how you don't. And by having that insight and that understanding of how the journey is for your clients and how profoundly impacted people could be for ethnic minorities if um, during times of COVID, being able to be aware of that and having an open dialogue about where we can support people will make all the difference in the world. And that is for your clients. Now, I do have, and I stay in touch with, as you know, a lot of advisor friends here in the US or there in the US. See, we've blurred the lines already. Um, and what they tell me is, well, they're less than perfect in the fact that, you know, they, they're not in a buttoned up office in a beautiful setting and the like, and sometimes their kids are running in the background and like, there is this element that we're more human and that authenticity, that leadership style of, you know, things aren't going to go well, but I'm here and I'm consistent and persistent for you actually has been a comfort to clients. So addressing issues head on, knowing that everyone's perceiving the situation very differently having a diverse team to provide input and the vulnerability and the willingness to make yourself vulnerable to say, you know what, we are buttoned up sometimes and I've got my kid in the background and ignore that, you know, um, that can actually work for you. And people will always come alongside that authentic leadership. Well, Marie, our time together has just flown and we could probably continue this conversation for another couple hours, but of course, we don't have that kind of time on a podcast. We'd love to get you back on in the future, however, to just 
further dis the discussion. But for now, would you leave our listeners with a few actionable steps? We have, of course, probably two different types of leaders on here. You have senior leaders and those that aren't senior leaders. And what steps would you have them take today to better help them grow a meaningful culture within their firms? So I'm going to leave with three C's in closing. And that's not one of the C's. Mm -hmm. One is from a leadership standpoint, clarity. What I mean by that is for managers to give clarity to their teams of what they expect and where they want to spend their time, where they want their outcomes and what they look like and spend that time and linger in it for the employee or team member to feel comfortable and afford the space to do that and have informal time as well as formal time. So I think that would be a, a very good strategy. Um, number two is culture. Be mindful of your culture. And when you look back over the course of the year, while we've gone through a lot of challenge and change, milestones that we've had success, little wins that you can celebrate, things that get the team thinking, yes, we actually have made progress despite everything that's going on. And so while you may or may not have had your new client goals or, or whatever it might be, focusing on what we can control and how we're going to shift that and be aware of the dynamics of the team, it's very easy to send out a survey monkey. It's very easy to do things that are fun and cultural enhancers like having a guest speaker come talk about how to have a Zoom presentation. Um, so you're not looking at your nose or your ear or <laughs> you know, your presentation skills. There's all kinds of fun things that you can do too that in the interim would be a little bit informal but would contribute to culture. And then the third thing would be communication. Communicate, of course, to clients on where you are with, you know, your status and, and um, you know, certainly be client facing, but internal communication on being able to articulate the direction. And for the younger team, this I would always recommend that any new employee coming in, particularly a younger generation, set a communication plan with your manager on how frequently you expect to hear from them and what type of feedback you expect to get from them. Because the source of frustration is if a new person coming into an organization is expecting a disproportionately high level of feedback and they don't get that from their manager and they don't ask for it or manage those expectations, back to the loyalty. They feel disenfranchised. They don't feel like they're connected to something. And that's a very easy way to remedy. So thank you very much for having me on there. I, I look forward to uh, being a guest one day soon and really appreciate all you both bring to the industry with these chats. Uh, great takeaways, Marie. It was a real delight to have you on the podcast today. And I do look forward to speaking with you again soon. And we appreciate you taking the time, especially from London. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Marie. Thank you. If you would like to read Marie's recent paper that we spoke about on today's episode, send an email to laura underscore greg at ntrs.com. That is L-A-U-R-A underscore G-R-E-G-G at ntrs.com. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you will find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor.
Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.